Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. How's it going, everyone? Grace here. On this episode of the DIGA podcast, I talk with Ty Gilkey. As of this recording, he is a fourth-year medical student at the Ohio State University College of Medicine, and he matched at the Dermatology Residency Program at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. We talk about his experiences applying to dermatology, as well as a whole hodgepodge of helpful tips so that you too can be successful in the match. Without further ado, see you on the skin side. All right, welcome back to the DIGA podcast. I'm here with Ty Gilkey, and he's going to introduce himself. Hi, Grace. Thank you for having me. So uh, like Grace said, my name is Ty Gilkey. I am originally from a small town in Western Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh. I went to Penn State for my undergraduate degree where I studied biology, and I am currently finishing up my fourth year at The Ohio State University for med school, and I have just matched at UNC University of North Carolina for dermatology residency. Well, Ty, congratulations on matching. I knew you could do it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And oh, I didn't realize you were outside of Pittsburgh. I went to I went to undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh. Oh, very nice. Some some would say a little bit of a rivalry between our football teams, huh? That's true. That's true. I think the re- the rivalry got rekindled when I was a freshman at Pitt. So yes, yes, that you you beat us. It, it would have been your freshman year, I think, huh? You beat us yep. at Pitt. <laughs> yep. And I think I think that might have been on my birthday or around my birthday, um, if I remember correctly. So. I could, I suppose it's a nice birthday gift, but anyhow, um, let's get to the podcast here. All right. My first question for you is why did you choose to pursue dermatology? Yes. So I would say I first decided to pursue dermatology. It was something that I had shadowed whenever I was an undergrad. So while I was trying to get into medical school, I shadowed a couple different specialties. And one of them that I shadowed was dermatology. And during that shadowing process, I was sort of brought to light about how diverse dermatology is, how many wonderful things you get to do in dermatology, the diversity of the patients that you see, the diversity of disease, and also how challenging a lot of the diseases can be. Um, And so while I was in medical school, I went in with an open mind, but I had the opportunity to shadow right at the end of my M1 year and get to spend a whole week with a dermatologist. And during that week was when I decided I want to be a dermatologist. I got to see how happy the dermatologists were. I, I'd met a lot of doctors that, that were, were burnt out, to be honest. Um, but as I talked to more and more dermatologists, dermatologists seemed to love their jobs. And as I learned more and more about the field, I learned that it was going to be a perfect fit for me, that there were chances to integrate ways to treat patients and their mental health by treating their cutaneous conditions. Um, you also had patients that had a lot of buy-in Um, because they're diseases that the patients can see and that they feel that other people can see and affect the way that they think about themselves. So a lot of patients have a lot of buy-in and are very, very interested in being uh, being treated by you um, and also just continuing on those treatments and doing everything that they can. So that was something that I really liked as well. And then finally, I really enjoyed that it is a developing field, that Derm is constantly producing new biologics that every year it seems like a new psoriasis or atopic derm treatment is coming out. Um, And so it's exciting to be in this field that is continually growing and we're getting to treat these diseases that have been around for a long, long time without many great treatments. And I'll get to be on the forefront of uh, continuing to learn about and treat these conditions. Those are pretty much all the same reasons that I like derm too. I remember (laughs) 
I remember when I was at Pitt, I was volunteering at the derm clinic in the Falk Medical Building. And I clearly remember one of the attendings, you know, he'd come in and be like, hey, what's up, man? (laughs) (laughs) He was just so happy to to be there. And to your point about the field constantly changing and having however many thousands of biologics that come out every few minutes or so, you know, (laughs) I think that speaks a lot to, I have a biomedical engineering background. So I'm like, yes, sign me up. I'd love to, I'd love to be on the forefront of improving these drugs and making patients even happier. So were there other specialties that you considered throughout medical school? There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of specialties that offer complex challenges in in and of themselves as well. Any that were on your mind? Yes. I I would say, honestly, another specialty that I was considering was actually family medicine. Um, A lot of things that I liked about dermatology, I I could also get in family medicine, which was opportunities to work with lots of patients throughout the day. Like you get to see acute patients that come in with something that's brand new. You get to diagnose and treat them. And also chronic patients that you work with throughout their lives and and manage their diseases. Um, And also just the opportunity to work with your hands. You get the chances to do biopsies. You still get to treat skin conditions. So honestly, I was sort of thinking family medicine. As a, as a sort of backup option as I was considering and applying to dermatology. Yeah, actually my LP or my longitudinal practice for, for those of you who are not familiar at OSU, the first couple of years we have, um, we work in a clinic or a, a, some sort of hospital setting before a third year. I was at a family medicine practice for mine. And for Very a second, cool. I, was, I was interested in that. Like, there's a lot of dermin family med. That's pretty cool. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm glad that you saw that too. There, there definitely is a lot of crossover. You, if, if, if people like one, they usually like the other as well. Right. Right. Yeah. So let's get into the application process. Um, okay. Tell our listeners what all you did to get ready for the application process. Yes. So I would say applying to dermatology is, of course, challenging. Um, if, if you've looked at the data recently, the match rate is in the mid-60s, um, meaning that a third of applicants are not going to match every on, during every application cycle. Ouch. So I... Yes. So whenever I had decided at the end of my first year that I wanted to do dermatology, I decided I wanted to get locked in and build a well-rounded application. So there were a lot of aspects of this. So one of them being research. I knew that it was something that I needed to do. um, And it was also something that I had some interest in, but hadn't really had an opportunity to explore in undergrad. So I got locked in with a lab here at Ohio State and had the opportunity to start my own project where I did a summer research project during my M1 year, which happily got published. And then through that lab, I had opportunities to mentor uh, students, both M1s and M2s, as I became an M3 and M4, um, and also just continue on some more projects. So I know a lot of people have this question that how do I get involved into research? And honestly, my answer to that would be, Reach out to some dermatologists at your program, or if there aren't, or if there isn't a derm program at your school, reach out to some rheumatologists. Reach out to some local dermatologists. Just try to find a way to get yourself into a lab, prove that you are a reliable worker, that you get things done by your deadlines, you work hard, you come up with new ideas, and just prove that you can be an asset to that lab. And then they will very, very happily in the future, whenever they need you to work on a paper, they'll reach out to you. And then, so by doing that, by doing well with my summer research project, I got the opportunity to be involved in many, many research projects, some as the lead investigator and others just as a, as a secondary investigator, helping people write, helping people work through a database. So that's for one, is the research. 
Um, as far as extracurriculars, I did a lot of things during medical school um, in an extracurricular sense. Some of them because they were things that I really enjoyed doing. Playing sports, getting to teach students, um, tutoring were all things that I really enjoyed doing. And then there were some things that, to be honest, I kind of did as an idea of a way to round out my CV, try something new, do something I've never done before. Um, so, for example, I, I worked at a camp for underprivileged kids, and I went up and I helped teach the camp counselors about dermatologic conditions. So there were a lot of things that, you know, just any opportunity that I had to really branch out and try something I was honestly uncomfortable with um, was I took it as a learning opportunity and a way to have something pretty interesting to talk about and something new and something unique about myself. Um, and then finally, I guess the most important thing that is on a lot of people's minds to making a well-rounded application are going to be your scores and your grades. So I was the last class that had a graded step one. Um, so I studied very, very hard for my step one, studied for several months and then my month of dedicated and, and, uh, did pretty well on it. Um, and then same thing for step two, I studied for several months during my dermatol or during my third year rotations. And then I took it at the end of my third year and once again, did pretty well. And then I always just made an effort to, I didn't feel like I needed to honor every rotation, but I always made it a goal to at least letter every rotation that I did or high pass would be the, uh, the wording for at, at some other schools. Um, and I just did that by, you know, I was active on my rotations. I tried to predict ways that I could be helpful. So without annoying the residents asking, hey, what, what can I do to help? Is there anything that I can do? Where can I do? What can I do this? And I sort of had this idea that, you know, if I can predict what the residents need and I can do things for them, for example, um, writing my patient's discharge summaries whenever they, they weren't ready for it or getting them a biopsy kit, get it ready at bedside, just sort of predicting things that I could do to be super helpful allowed me to be successful on rotations. Um, sorry, Grace, I, I, I sort of no took worries. over for you there. Um, do you have any more specific questions about those things? I, I, I had a lot to share. Yeah, no worries. I appreciate that a lot. Um, I did have a follow-up question about research, actually. Mm -hmm. One of the big tips that um, that I'd gotten over the years was one of the ways to show initiative for the research side of things is to come up with your own ideas. How did you come up with your ideas for research projects? That's a really good question. So I, I, I know that that's something that a lot of people are stressed about is coming up with your own ideas. Um, and so for me personally, it wasn't like I came up with these ideas on my own. I went to my mentor and I told him what I was interested in. I was like, hey, I, th I think drug eruptions are pretty neat. And I think immunobullous disease is pretty interesting. Do you happen to have any projects in mind? Or are you working on anything that, that I could potentially help you out with? And that was the beginning of my project. So I built a drug eruptions database that was used for many future projects. Um, and then I also helped write several case reports where we worked with immunobullous disease, pem uh, bullous pemphigoid and pemphigus vulgaris. So just by going in and letting my mentor know what I was interested in and just sort of see and just giving them that idea um, allowed us to work together to come up with projects that could be beneficial for the lab and beneficial um, and be something that I was also interested in. So to summarize all that, I didn't come up with my own exact research questions. I just had some general ideas about things I was interested in. And then I worked with my mentor to actually create the question. Yeah, that goes back to the importance of teamwork. You come up with those research questions as a team. Yes, you know it. Outside of, I know that like Ohio State has a really awesome Durham program with a lot of attendings. How did you connect with programs at 
other institutions even before away rotations? Um, and then as a follow-up to that, how did you choose away rotations? Yes, that's a great question. So honestly, I wasn't somebody that went out of my way to talk to the other institutions all that much before my away rotations. Sort of with the thought being that I didn't have anywhere in particular that I was super strongly drawn to before I was researching these programs and learning more about them. Um, so I did make I did write out some emails to um, some faculty that I knew that were interested in research at other programs. But honestly, none of these came to fruition. It can be it can be difficult to reach out to faculty at other institutions whenever they have a couple dozen med students themselves that they're trying to work with. Um, so honestly, I didn't reach out all that much and. It, it 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 seemed like it worked out completely fine for my application cycle. It it didn't I don't feel that it hurt me too much at all. Um but I would say that some ways that would help in the future for for listeners now is that one reason that I didn't have the opportunity to do this was because of COVID. So we didn't have in-person conferences. Um, we didn't have the opportunity to like travel to other schools. But now as these conferences are coming back to in-person, that can be a very, very good way to get some FaceTime. Um, and honestly, a good way to get FaceTime is to present one of your projects. And so I went to the Ohio Dermatologic Association every year and I would present a poster. And and it, was, it doesn't have to be something that is overly intricate, just something that you worked on. You can work with the residents, work with your attendings, um, and just put down what you have been working on. And by doing that, you can be memorable to other program directors, other residents, and just gives you an opportunity to sort of mingle with other residents that are in your state. Um, and I, I thought that that was pretty useful, although realistically, I don't think it helped me get any interviews. Um, because the the program directors, for example, and the attendings and the residents, they're talking to dozens of medical students. Um, so the chance that they remember one specific thing that you talked about or your specific poster isn't that crazy high. But you do have the opportunity that in an interview, maybe you can do a callback to like, hey, I met you. How was this? How was your dog? How's your family? The thing that we talked about whenever I first met you. Um, so in the future, I think that that would be a very, very good way to um, talk to other programs before weight rotations. Yeah, I'm sure glad the in-person conferences are coming back. I just came from <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just came from AAD, and I'm so thankful for that opportunity. So that's wonderful. How was AAD? Oh, it was amazing. I wish I wish I could stay for the whole time, but you know, we can only take so many personal days within a given rotation because it went from. I think it started Friday and ended on Tuesday, but I was at the Medical Dermatology Society uh, symposium the day before that, so the Thursday. So I took Thursday, Friday off and was there Saturday, Sunday, had to come back for rotations. But if I had the option, I would have stayed the whole time because it was it was amazing. Good. You know, I could go on about that with like the free food, the free samples and the networking <laughs> possibilities, the endless, you know, opportunities there. So it's like Disney World, but for Durham. My next question for you is how did you choose what programs to ultimately apply to? Yes. So I will start sort of by finishing the second part of your earlier question, actually, was about my away rotations. And we'll talk about programs that I applied to. So four-way rotations, um, it's recommended for the upcoming year that you do no more than two away rotations if you have a home program or three away pro rotations if you do not have a home program. 
So the way that I thought about these is that I knew that my parents were interested in moving to the Southeast. And also my fiance and I, we wanted to be somewhere sunny, somewhere warm, um, and knew that we would definitely be interested in a lot of Southeast programs. And I knew that um, based on my schedule, I was only going to have time to do one away rotation. So essentially the way that I planned this was that I applied to about seven programs in the Southeast um, and with the attitude that I will be happy doing an away rotation at any of these seven programs. So whichever one accepts me first is the one that I'm going to pick. Um, and the reason that I did it like that is that I have heard anecdotally that there is a risk of if you are accepted to an away rotation, but you do not actually complete that away rotation and that you reject them for another rotation, that you could potentially get blacklisted from an interview with that program. However, I've also heard the other side that programs see so many names, so many applicants that they may not remember you at all. Um, and that it couldn't hurt you. Um, but I didn't want to take that risk. And so I went into it with the idea that I will take any of these seven programs that accept me and whoever accepts me first is where I will go. Um, and I went and I had an awesome month, got to meet some awesome attendings and residents. And we, and I, I, it was a very rewarding experience and it was great getting to see how another program functions and getting to just meet the applicants at another program and get to reach out and network with some other future, um, co-residents, honestly. So that was that was pretty exciting. And it's something that I recommend for everybody to do. And whenever you're deciding on your away rotations, there's a couple of different ways to think about it. One way would be, what is my goal? Or I guess the question you should ask yourself is, what is my goal of this away rotation? What is the goal of me applying this cycle? If your goal is to match anywhere, I just want to be a dermatologist and I do not care where I complete my residency training at, then maybe think about that while you are, are selecting programs to do an away rotation. Where are places that you would be a fantastic fit because you know an attending already, because you have family in the area, um, or honestly, because maybe I'm an overqualified applicant. Um, so it's something to think about that if you rotate at one of these programs that you think you have a very strong chance at matching at, that can strongly, strongly increase your chances of matching. Because like I had mentioned earlier, 65-ish percent chance of matching. So if, you're, if your goal is just to match, you should just pick somewhere um, that will increase those chances. Then on the other side of things, though, if think about, is there a single program that I really want to go to that I would rather decrease my chances of matching overall, but increase my chances of matching at this single competitive program? So this would be thinking about your top 10 programs in the Northeast. Um, you know, I really want to end up in New York City. I really want to end up in Boston. Um, you may rotate at these programs, but they take 25 away rotators. So you really, really have to impress. And sure, it will increase your chances at that program, but your overall chances of matching, in my opinion, if you're doing this, applying to programs that you may be slightly underqualified for, don't drastically go up. So that's just something to think about. And a lot of the students that I currently mentor, I usually suggest to them to maybe think about one dream program. Where do I really want to go? I want to end up in Atlanta. So I want to go to Emory. Um, pick your dream program and then maybe pick a program like, hey, I am also from Pittsburgh. So maybe I'm going to apply to University of Pittsburgh and try to do an away rotation there because that's a program that I would also be happy at. May not be my dream program, but I would be happy there and it would increase my chances drastically of matching overall. So that's just something to think about for away rotations. So, and then whenever you apply to real, uh, apply to the programs for real. Um, so for me, I did my away rotation in July, which I thought was really great. I had a great opportunity to get a letter, which I utilized uh, for a lot of my applications. So then whenever you apply into August and September, 
um, thinking about where, how many schools to apply to. Currently, I think the recommendation is to apply to no more than 60 schools. Um, AAD recommends 40 to 60. However, if you look at the average numbers, they're like in the mid 70s. So students are still over applying to over these 60 programs. Um, and looking back on the cycle, I received interviews at places that I sort of, ex I shouldn't say expected, but places that I had some sort of connection to, um, either geographically or one of my attendings went there for residency, uh, or by attendings, I mean one of my letter writers went there for residency, or I know somebody there. Those tended to be the places I got interviews. So I ended up applying to 66 total programs, I believe. Um, and Looking back, I, I think I'm, I was happy with that number that I applied to, but I applied to a lot of programs that I just didn't have any connections. Most of the programs in Texas, I think I only got one interview in Texas. I applied to some programs in California, didn't get any interviews. Applied to Colorado, Nebraska, sort of deep Midwest states, and I also didn't get interviews at these places. But where I did get a lot of interviews is Ohio, Pennsylvania, and the Southeast, sort of because I did that away rotation. I got that letter of recommendation from a program in the Southeast. And I think that that really helped me gather a lot of interviews in the Southeast because it showed like, hey, I really do have an interest in this area. Um, so apply broadly, apply to most places that you feel like you would be happy. Um, and I think around 60 seems to be the good number. Like if you don't have connections at all to a program, especially if you're on the East Coast and you're applying to the West Coast, the chances of you getting an interview seem to be pretty, pretty small. So just think about that if it is worth the money for you to be applying there. Sounds like geography really means a lot here. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of interviews, what did you do to prepare for interviews and sort of stand out in that sense and talk about the things that you're most passionate about? Yeah, absolutely. So I think something that is important for interviews is that once you've received the interview, which honestly, talking to a lot of my co-applicants, talking to people from my away rotation, a lot of it seems to be either you have, there's a geography reason that you got an interview or just dumb luck. You have no idea why this program wanted to interview you. Um, but once you've been interviewed, you go into this, go into it with the mindset that this program wants me. They are interviewing me because they want me. And you have to sort of develop this confidence about uh, about yourself as you go into the interview. And don't be scared. Don't don't think that it, it's going to be scary. Dermatologists are very, very nice people. And the interviews tended to not be all that overly stressful. Um, so some ways that I prepared for interviews and advice that I was given to by one of my mentors was find the way that you are going to contribute to the program. Um, and the way that it was phrased to me was the phrase, find your diversity. Because something that a lot of programs are looking for is to develop a diverse class that has diverse interests, that has diverse backgrounds, that is fit to treat a diverse patient population. So honestly, I, I, I remember going into it thinking like, oh man, like I'm a white guy. What is my diversity? Um, but you have to think about it much, much more than your ethnicity and your demographics. So what I sort of what I take as my um, diversity, what made me special is that I'm from an extremely rural, underserved area. So I made sure that I talked about that in a lot of interviews because it's something that I'm interested in as an attending is to make sure that I have rural clinics, have the opportunity to do rural outreach and work with the rural underserved. So it was something that I that I really strove for was to find the way that I am different than a lot of my co-applicants. Um, and, I, and I think that that was received very, very well by programs. And it was just a way for me to stand out. 
Um, so that was one thing that I did. And then another thing is I just looked up the like 50 most common generic interview questions. Um, and I just practiced with my fiance. I would just have her ask me a question and I would practice answering, making good eye contact with the camera, speaking slowly, enunciating well, um, and just being confident with my answers. And then finally, I looked up, I tried to find some specific questions that were um, asked specifically in dermatology interviews. And I remember there was a DIGA podcast where I believe it was the program director at Mississippi, I want to say, um, was on and was talking about some common interview questions. So I listened to that. I would recommend everybody listen to that before you interview. Um, and that also gave me some good strategies as well. So finally, and just being whenever you're answering interview questions, it is okay to pause. I know everybody says this and it feels awkward in your head to pause, but really it's, if you pause for two or three seconds, think about what you want to say, come up with a good answer. It comes off very, very well. And then finally, just be confident. I'm naturally someone that's pretty bubbly, happy person. Um, and I just made sure that that came through in interviews because people want to be with happy people. Um, so it's, it, it's definitely something that can be beneficial for you as well for your interviews. That's the secret sauce. <laughs> yes. I did want to circle back. Um, it sounds like you were saying that the interviews were um, not as scary as, as one might think because the school wants you already at that point. Would you say that the, um, I guess, the phase of the application before the interviews was a little bit more challenging? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question, Grace. I I would say that yes, that once you put yourself in this mindset that okay, they have offered me an interview because they want me, it makes it so much less challenging. You're you're totally right. Thinking about making your application and just you know, honestly worrying that oh my gosh, am I going to get interviews? But on that interview release date, whenever those interviews start flowing in for the first time, it is so exciting, so rewarding. This huge weight Come off, comes off my chest because, yay, programs do want me. There, I have a good chance to become a dermatologist. Um, so yes, I, I, for me personally, it was way more stressful leading up to the interview release days uh, than it was for the actual interviews themselves. What was the most challenging aspect of the parts of the application leading up to interviews? Something that was stressful for a lot of applicants that I, re I received some great feedback from my mentors that helped diminish the stress a little bit was the stress of, A, getting your personal statement written um, and also getting uh, the just getting your whole ERAS filled out. Because ERAS can be huge. It ended up being like 14 pages long by the time you fill all of it out. But I received advice from my mentors to get this done very early. Um, and I know a lot of people procrastinating to write a personal statement, probably a lot of you listening today, uh, maybe procrastinating to write a personal statement. And my suggestion for you is to sit down for an hour with your computer and say, I am not standing up until I have a personal statement written down. What you have written down is absolutely not going to be the final product. But once you have something on the page, something to talk about, something to show mentors, it can be, it's just this massive, massive load off your chest that you, you can de-stress a little bit about it. So I would suggest if any of you are in that current situation right now, just go sit in your room tonight and write yourself a personal statement and just have something on paper. Um, so I would say that, honestly, that was one of the things that was stressful, was just getting everything done while I'm doing rotations, while I'm studying for step two. Um, so, but once all that came together, things were, things were a lot less stressful, uh, and then you just kind of waited out for your interview day. And one other thing that I wanted to touch on too, Grace, was 
Something that made my interviews less stressful was that a lot of my transitional year interviews were before um, my dermatology interviews. So I just wanted to touch on that as well, because this is something a lot of people ask about. So the first question that I think many people have that I know I had whenever I was an M2 and an M3 is, what the heck is the difference between a transitional year and a preliminary year? And essentially what the difference is, is that a transitional year gives you more freedom. So for example, my transitional year, I matched at a small program here in Columbus called Mount Carmel. And what Mount Carmel does is I have six months inpatient where I do surgery, ICU, internal medicine. And then I have six months where I'm outpatient. So I get to do dermatology. I get to do radiology. I get to have a research month. I get to do urgent care. I get to do emergency medicine. So it sort of gets to be a more well-rounded intern year experience than your preliminary year. Um, But the preliminary year, on the other hand, are things you can do a medicine preliminary year, a surgery preliminary year, or a pediatrics preliminary year. And I would say the big advantage to preliminary years over transitional years is, A, if you want to have an intense preliminary year where you have the opportunity to see lots of patients, evaluate lots of patients in internal medicine, this would be a better way to do that. Additionally, though, um, whenever we talk about the academic programs, so where most of the DERM programs are tend to be your academic programs, the academic programs for the most part do not have transitional years. So the transitional years are found more at community hospitals, whereas the preliminary years are found at these academic centers. So because whenever you apply and whenever you make your rank list, which we can talk about after this a little bit, um, is that you could end up matching for a transitional year in New Hampshire and then end up for your Durham uh, three years in Oklahoma. So you have they can be spread out like that because the transitional years can be a little bit challenging to get in because not only is it Durham trying to get transitional years, it's also PM&R. It is also radiology. Um, I think pathology as well. So there's a lot of specialties that are also trying to get these transitional years, which because cushy is the word that sometimes are used, they're a little bit cushier. You work slightly less hours than you would for a preliminary year. They tend to be a little bit more competitive. Um, So that's the difference between the transitional year and preliminary year. Um, I personally applied to about 15 transitional years and seven preliminary years. I'm just sort of spread around places where I thought I would want to do dermatology. So that was in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, and in the Southeast. Um, And then I just sort of had this idea that hey, I would really like to not move. Part of that being a personal reason that my fiance has a great job here in Columbus and she didn't want to leave immediately. So we would love to just stay at Mount Carmel, the local program here in Columbus, um, and then move wherever we need to in the country. But I also applied to all these other programs because of course it's never guaranteed that you're going to get any one position. So uh, that is so that was for the transitional year interviews. And from those I think I did 22 total applications. I received like 12 interviews from those 22, um, and I ended up doing seven of them. So it's something that you receive, you know, I had an interview rate of over 50%, whereas for Durham, I applied to 66 programs and ended up with 16. So, you know, probably my interview rate for the transitional years and preliminary years was about double that of Durham. So that's something to think about too, that I maybe did apply to too many, but also it's 25 or 30 bucks to apply. and I, I, I was sort of under the impression that I would rather apply to a couple too many than apply to too few. Fair enough. And yeah. sounds like you get some interview prep with the transitional and uh, prelim years. And thank you for the breakdown, by the way. Yeah, really absolutely. Helpful. Yeah. And uh, something that kind of makes my head spin is the concept of rank lists for both Durham and 
prelim slash transitional years. How did you approach that process? Yes. So that, that is something that is very, that can be very challenging. So um, my first advice would be to take pretty much every interview that you can, because you can rank any program that you have interviewed at. Technically, you can rank any program in the country, but of course, they're not going to rank you um, if you do not rank them. So here's the summary of how the rank process works, is that the rank process benefits the applicant. And what that means, and there is an awesome video uh, through the AAMC. It's on like the ERAS page. And you can, uh, if you just search um, understanding the match, it's a really good like four minute cartoon. Um, and it explains very, very well how the match and the match list work. But essentially the way that you do it is that you rank not based on where you think other programs want you. You rank purely based on where you want to go. So you can rank your programs one through 10. And if the only program out of those 10 uh, that ranked you to match was 10th on your list, you would still match. So there's no risk at all to ordering your list in any way or another. You should purely rank it the way that you want it to be. Um, so that's so that's the first big lesson to learn about match. Um, but whenever I was thinking about my rank list, I something that I did that I really liked was that I printed out on uh, my fiance's cricket um, a list of all of the programs that I had received interviews to. And I kept them on my fridge. So I like put little tape circles on the back of each program. And then I just kept a rank list and I kept it moving the whole way through the cycle. So the day that I got all of my interviews, and it's still on my fridge today, but the day I got all all of the interviews on interview release day one, um, I started printing them out and stuck them on the fridge in the order that I thought before I did any interviews, before I really knew all that much about them. Um, But I stuck these on on my fridge in this order. And then as I did interviews, I would one for one take notes. I kept an Excel doc where I just took notes and kept track of things that mattered to me about the programs. And then secondly, I would move my rank list. So every time I did an interview, I was always moving a couple programs up, a couple programs down, um, just depending on how I felt about the day, how I felt about the program, um, and some things that mattered to me. And also, just I guess one other thing is, what did I put in my Excel sheet? What were some things that mattered to me for Derm, uh, for Derm residency? Um, and you know, some of these are superficial and some of them are really important. Um, but basically, I ranked all of these things and I gave them either a one, two, or three based on poorly rounded, or uh, if I thought that it was bad, average, or above average. So some things that I included in this rank list were, is the program well-rounded? Meaning, do they have good surgical exposure? Do they have good cosmetics? Um, Do they have good complex med derm? And honestly, I ended up giving most of these programs threes. There were a couple of programs that maybe had some weaker complex med derm, weaker cosmetics that I gave twos to. Um, But I actually found that this wasn't something that weighed that heavily on me. Most of the academic programs were very similar um, in this this aspect. Um, Another thing that was important to me is how strong are the consults experience? Meaning, will I have the opportunity to evaluate lots of patients during my consult weeks or months at the hospital? Another thing that was important to me was not only do you have strong consults, but do you have dedicated consults? This is something in my mind that was pretty important. And honestly, a lot of these things that I'm mentioning now are very important things that you can ask residents during the uh, pre-interview social um, or even during your interview day to get a better idea. So just pick which of these are important to you. But anyway, do you have dedicated consults? Meaning, am I on call at the same time that I'm on my consult week? Um, So something that I loved about UNC is that I am. 
So during my week that I'm on consults, I am also on call. So for 24 hours, for those seven days that I am on call and on consults, all I do is I am the hospital dermatologist. I don't have to go to clinic in the morning. I don't have to worry about doing clinic notes. Um, and something else that seemed important to me was that I wanted to be on call. And if I take a call in the middle of the night, not feeling bad about punting that call to my co-resident the next day, because there is no co-resident the next day. It's me. So I get to decide, do I want to punt this to myself in the morning or do I want to go into the hospital at 3 a.m. right now? Um, so that was something that was very important for me and ended up being something that was pretty different among programs. Um, so that's something to consider if that's important to you. Um, another thing was, do the does the school have a strong continuity clinic? Meaning, do I have the opportunity to basically be these patients' primary physician or their primary dermatologist? Um, some programs, uh, to name drop one, would be Penn State. Penn State has a very, very strong continuity clinic that their entire clinic is continuity-based, where the patients are my own patients. Um, and I have an attending there with me that, of course, I bounce the ideas off of, but I am their doctor. The attending is not their doctor. Um, and so that was something that I that I really valued. I wanted that opportunity to have the chance to really feel like I was someone's doctor and that they're coming to see me, not coming to see their attending and the resident is bumbling in and getting in their way of them seeing their real doctor. So that was something that was important to me. Um, another one is location. So I think everybody can reason why that would be important. So I'll glaze over that. Residents seem happy. Um, I gave threes to almost every program for this, so this ended up not being all that important. Um, but just something to evaluate was, do the residents seem happy here? Are they happy with their work-life balance? Are they listened to? If they have an idea, does the program director try to integrate it for them? Um, another one, this one's more superficial, but do you wear scrubs? I want to wear scrubs during my residency. So that's something to ask or something to think about um, is, do I get to wear scrubs? What is my dress code? Do I want to wear business casual every day or would I be more comfortable in scrubs? And then finally, is there academic time? So dermatology is pretty unique compared to other specialties in that you tend to get academic time. Um, some programs have it every week. And what academic time is, is basically a half day off where you have the opportunity to um, finish research, to write notes, to do patient callbacks, to study. Um, and this is something that was important to me, mainly for the studying aspect, as well as the research aspect, that I love to independently study. Um, I don't want to, I, I don't want strong group didactics. I, I would just much rather have a half day to myself where I can sit there for two and a half hours and study um, with no distractions. So that was something that was important to me as well, is how much academic time do programs have? Um, and some programs have as much as two half days a week. Other programs would be a half day every other week. Um, but the average tended to be about a half day of academic time every week. Um, oh, and the last one, which I did not have written down here, is what are the program's didactics like? So that was one last thing to think about, is does this program have dedicated half-day didactics? Do they have morning didactics? Do they have afternoon didactics? What that means is that every program does at least four hours a week where you sit down with all of your co-residents and either the attendings teach or the residents teach, and you just have an opportunity to sit down and just learn for a couple hours a week. For me, I personally wanted a dedicated half-day didactic meaning that um, I want to go in, spend four hours Wednesday morning or whatever day it is, and just learn for those four hours with no other responsibilities. Don't need to worry about, oh man, are my patients showing up? Oh man, I have notes to write. It is just this half day is dedicated to me learning. Um, whereas some pro, so I would give that a three. 
And then I would give a two for lunchtime didactics and then a one for morning didactics. Cause I don't, I'm not much of a morning person. Um, so I would rather not come in an hour before clinic every morning. Um, so that was one other way that I weighed things. So basically I did this for every school that I interviewed at, and then I summed all of those numbers up and that gave me a very, very good idea of what the, of what programs I liked. And then that combined with my rank list I kept on the fridge helped me make my final rank list. Yeah, you got a combination of factors that I had been thinking about and things that I just that never even crossed my mind. So thank you for that. Yes, you're very welcome. I, I, I wish somebody had told me all of those things before I had started my interviews. It's it's something very important to ask. And the residents are super open about these things at the pre-interview social. So don't be afraid to ask these. I also wanted to circle back about mm-hmm. personal statements real quick. Um, before we wrap up with the last couple of questions here. So do you have any suggestions for, say, someone is sitting down to get their personal statement written down before they stand back up? Suggestions for what topics to choose to write about? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I would say there's two ideologies about writing your personal statement. So basically, here's what they are, is that you can go for a super unique personal statement and try to make yourself stand out. Or you can go for a more generic personal statement and just not hurt yourself. So I've heard somebody say that about 90% of personal statements fall into this generic category. 5% are good and they drastically help your application and 5% are bad and they prevent you from getting an interview. So I personally did not want to do anything extraordinary. I did not want to try to gain a bunch of points in my personal statement. I just wanted to tell a little bit of my story. And so what I talked about is the things that made dermatology important to me. I talked about my first my first experiences diagnosing and treating dermatology. My experiences in research and what it meant to do research to me and the ways that that helped develop me and the ways that it helped me feel like I'm contributing to the field. Um, and then finally, just followed it up with some sort of anecdotes about my time in dermatology and just some things about me and why I thought that I would be a good fit for dermatology. Um, so I I sort of went for the more generic thing. People didn't tend to ask me many questions about my personal statement. um, And that's okay. And I think that that is a fine, fine place to be. But whatever you, so that's just something to think about is make that decision. Do I need my personal statement to help me? Or am I okay if my personal statement doesn't really gain or lose me points? I just want it to be somewhat generic. Um, and tell tell about me, but nothing crazy. Um, so that's a good decision to make. And and I would say start generic and then um, and just tell some stories. Think about why you went into dermatology. What makes it special? What makes the patient special? Um, and maybe some anecdotes of times that have been special to you in dermatology. And just try to get those things down. And just start and just think about it as a middle school paper. You need a little intro, telling a little hook something interesting about yourself to make sure they're going to finish reading it. Three meaty paragraphs in the middle, maybe one talking about research, one extracurriculars, one derm experience, and then finish it up with a summary paragraph. Sort of bring in the hook that you had started with um, and just finalize like why, why, what is important about you. And then I guess one last thing to mention is that for my most important program, so I picked maybe my top like 10 programs that meant the most to me, um, and I personalized personal statements for those programs, meaning that I took the last statement or the last paragraph of my personal statement, um, and I wrote what makes these programs so special. And most of those were programs that were close to family for me um, or programs that I felt I would fit in very, very strongly or had a good reason. So that's something to think about, too. And I, I think that that probably did help me 
get some interviews. So as long as if you're doing that, just make sure you're genuine, um, have really good reasons that you want to come to these programs. But I would recommend doing that last. Come up with your personal statement, have your mentors read it, make sure you have a doctor read it, have somebody that's not in dermatology read it, um, and just get your ideas and see how everybody feels about those things. Amazing. I, I do like that last point about who should read your personal statement as well. So yes, most definitely get a good audience in there. So um, tell our listeners a little about a little about the program at UNC. What um, I know you talked a little bit about the, the, the awesome schedule for the inpatient part of it. Um, what else makes it tick for you? And um, what are some things you're excited about? Yes. So UNC was my top choice. Um, and it is somewhere that I was absolutely blown away on my interview day. So for one, the category where do the residents seem happy? UNC was one of two programs that I actually gave the, a four in that category that they seemed like they loved their program. Um, the program director, Dr. Zemer, is very, very friendly. She loves to take in feedback and the residents feel extremely cared for. Um, so that was something that's honestly very important to me. Um, and then going through all those categories that I listed, UNC had top score on every single one of them. The location's perfect. I want to live in North Carolina one day. My parents are thinking about moving to North Carolina. Um, they have a continuity clinic, so I have the opportunity to see my own patients. They have a very strong consult service. Um, they have opportunities that you get to see rural patients, that patients from northern North Carolina, southern Virginia, a lot of them come to UNC. Um, and also, you have very, very strong specialty clinics as well. So there's lots of complex med derm. The dermatologists there are very diverse in their interests, um, and they just produce exceptionally well-rounded dermatologists um, that are ready to go into both uh, go into both academic settings, private practice, as well as fellowships. So from everything that I know and the residents that I had spoken to at UNC, I I cannot support the program enough. I am I am absolutely ecstatic to go there. Kind of going back to geography for a second. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're from Pennsylvania, went to Ohio for medical school, and you're going to one of the, uh, the state universities of North Carolina. How many of your co-residents are from outside of North Carolina versus those who have connections to the state? That's a really good question. So of my six co-residents, well, I'm sorry, there are six total residents. Four of them went to UNC, one went to Duke, and then I went to OSU. Um, so honestly, it is a program in North Carolina and uh, the Carolinas in general sort of have a reputation for keeping a lot of their own students. And also because students want to stay in North Carolina. Um, it, it seems to be a, a very, very wonderful place to live. Um, so I was the only out-of-stater. Everybody else had went to medical school at either UNC or Duke. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how you know that Ty is the GOAT. He, <laughs> he broke into the state of North Carolina against... However, uh, the odds were in his favor. <laughs> Thank you, Grace. <laughs> Absolutely. No exaggeration whatsoever. I mean that genuinely. Good. Um, last couple of questions for you. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to your past self back in M1, M2, or M3 year now that you've matched into Durham successfully at your number one choice? Yes. I talk about this with my friends often. And it would be do not stress on your preclinical grades. They are important. It is important to do well on, and because AOA is an important thing. If you look at the, if you look at the match data, um, people with AOA do match more frequently than people without AOA. Um, so those grades are somewhat important, but 
do not stress that much about it. If I have a um, if I have a if I have an OSCE experience with a patient, and I get an 88, and or I'm sorry, if I get an 82 instead of an 88. It's okay. It is not the end of the world. It's not something to beat myself up over. Um, so looking back, that would be the biggest advice to give myself, that those preclinical grades do not matter as much as I thought they did at the time. So stress about your, pre -cl your, your clinical grades. <laughs> if you need to pick something to stress about, pick preclinical or pick your clinical grades. Absolutely. I, in my opinion, they are much more valuable on your application, mainly because it shows you, did you honor, did you letter, did you pass every one of your um, clinical rotations? Whereas preclinicals, all it says on my application is that I passed. It doesn't tell them a single thing about my score. So it was, that's, that's definitely something to think about. And that's school dependent too. So that was just how they do it at Ohio State. So that's also something to think about is to um, maybe ask your, if, if you're an M1 or an M2 now, maybe ask some of your colleagues that are M4s like, hey, what, can you explain to me? What does, what, does my, um, what does my dean's letter look like at the school? What are some things that are included? What's important? So that's something to think about is think about what the programs are actually going to see. And is it worth beating yourself up studying for five extra hours just to get one or two extra percent? on uh on some low stakes exam yeah well ty it has been such an honor to have you on the podcast i'm glad that the diga podcast has helped you in the past and it's it's awesome to have you on and now giving some amazing advice where can listeners reach you Yes, I would say if listeners want to reach me, I did start a med Twitter this year as a part of a class that I took. Um, so you can reach me on med Twitter at Ty, so just T-Y underscore Gilkey, G-I-L-K-E-Y. So if you shoot me a DM on there, it's on my phone and I should be able to see it. And I, I would gladly help mentor more students if, uh, if anybody is interested. Ty, thank you so much again for being on the Diga podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Grace. Yeah, and best of luck with your intern year at Mount Carmel and with your three years at UNC. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermeinterestpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 